God created light, the stars, and all the animals, and said it was good. God created humans and called us very good. God created this podcast, and it was good. Something that's been bothering me recently is this aspect of hate that I see in the church community. Granted, hate isn't a new thing, and unfortunately, it's not a new thing within the church. Nevertheless, I feel very prompt in my spirit to speak about it today. I'm sure I might ruffle a lot of feathers, but this is truth, and truth needs to be heard. So, if I ruffle your feathers, surely the truth will set you free. Once coming into the light of Jesus as a human, we become new creations. How glorious that is. I'm sure people can remember the day that Jesus met them and they surrendered. Like, there's so many songs about it. And it's such a beautiful moment. Like, I think about the song, um, I surrender all to you, everything I give to you, withholding nothing. Like, there's that one. That's another one. Um, Oh, when my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Like, it's such a beautiful moment when we meet Jesus to be able to shed the old ways and step into a new life a royal priesthood it's glorious it's good it's uplifting it's life-changing all praises be to Adonai however we still deal with and wrestle with the things of this world both in our own selves and outside cultural things. This is the life of Christ, a constant battle between all good and all evil, a war, if you will. Speaking of war, if you have not read Live No Lies by John Mark Homer, it's an amazing book that goes deep into this concept of spiritual battle. It's a great read. And there's even a podcast that accompanies, like that partners with it. Um, and a couple YouTube videos, and it dives deep into certain topics. So yeah, that's just a little quick like recommendation. But one of those all evil aspects that we can fight with, and it can be prevalent in the unsaved and the saved, is the inherent portion of pride that partners with hate. So the definition of pride is the excessive preoccupation of one's self-importance, you know, one's own achievements status or possessions it's a inordinate self-esteem the scary thing about pride is that it comes in many different shapes and sizes here's only a few ways that it can manifest so for example not asking for help like the theme song of your life is i-n-d-e-p like yeah that's you like you who <laughs> You want your own everything. You want to control everything. You don't want anyone to help you. You're too proud to let anyone know that you're struggling. Because at the end of the day, you're going to figure it out. That's pride. Secondly, um, feeling the need to consistently teach people things. Because you know it all. Hmm? <laughs> and I don't mean it in a way of like, oh, you shed knowledge. Like, you tell people, oh, like, this is something I learned and this is something I learned, you know, I'm talking about when you constantly give like mini sermons to everybody, like constantly telling people a whole entire mini lesson within conversation like that. That's pride. Like, yeah. Or like when people tell you about something 
you know, and you like rebut them and try to teach them like that. That's pride. Another example is assuming you already know something when someone is teaching or assuming that a sermon or a Bible study is too elementary for you before you finish it. Yeah, that that's pride. Another example is being envious that other people are advancing in their life, whether it be in ministry or in social status, like romance, you know, marriage or something or professionalism. Like they got a promotion and you didn't. And you start asking, why don't they choose me? Why don't I got this yet? Why don't they see me? Or you get annoyed with God for not blessing you with the same thing. My last Um, example of pride I came up with is thinking that you can do something better than someone in the position to do it that one hurts a lot that one hurts me you know (laughs) like I said a few moments ago this is only a few ways pride manifests itself and there's so many other ways so it's hard to see pride sometimes because it looks different in each person yet its destruction is prevalent The way it builds inside you is slow and chaotic. It's like you don't realize how much it has grown because it grows so slowly, like a plant. You know how you see your plant every day, but you can't tell how much it grows until you have to repot it? That's how pride is. (laughs) But really, pride is like a tree on the side of the road. These trees need to be cut down or at least managed lest its branches fall down on a car in a road. Fatal. Pride is fatal. Every person deals with pride. On different scales, of course, but we all encounter it. But the question is, why can't we see our pride sometimes? Why is it so hard to hear people tell us about our pride? Why is it that when we realize we are growing in pride, it's already this huge, huge monster? It's because pride feeds our ego. So we always think we're right. You know, the definition of ego is a person's sense of self-esteem or sense of self-importance. It's the sense of it, what we perceive it to be. Matter of fact, you know what? Let's break all these definitions down because I feel like y'all are not with me. Like, come on, let's lock in. Y'all with me? Okay, y'all with me. Self-esteem is confidence in one's own worth or abilities. That's already sound worldly. Anyways, self-importance is an exaggerated sense of one's own value or importance. Y'all, I'm literally reading this off Google. We're talking about ego, though. So let's reread ego, like ego's definition. But this time, let's replace the word self-esteem and self-importance with these new definitions. So here we go. You ready? Okay, let's go. Ego is the sense of confidence in one's own worth or abilities. Or ego is the perception of an exaggerated sense of one's own value. Our ego, inflamed with the exaggerated self-value, our ego, enlarged in confidence within our worth and abilities, i.e. I read my Bible every day, I pray five times a day, I fast 26 times a year, I help the poor, I do this, I do that. 
Our ego, impressed with who we have become, feeds our pride, which leads to self-worship. Pride leads you into thinking, oh, I'm holy, so I can't understand those struggles. Oh, well, I give to the poor, so I don't need to tie. Mm. I'm a praying woman or man of God, therefore I can't go to the altar. I'll just ask for God in my quiet space. I got a relationship with him. Thank, it leads you into thinking, thank you, God, for showing me. I can't do it alone. I need you. But I'm not getting close to no, to no local community because I can't do people. Mm-mm. Pride leads you into thinking that nobody can teach you. It leads you to think that you have arrived in sanctification. This is how it hurts us in our church community. It's a slow, growing, painful boil on our church body. Paul talks about pride a few times within his letters to churches because Paul had to fight for humbleness. I can imagine it was a constant battle. You know, Paul was brought up in the nature of self-idolization for the presumed sake of holiness. He was brought up in a time where boasting was acceptable and rightful to do. In many ways, one could say legalistic. By his own account, Paul was the best Jew and the best Pharisee of his nation. You know, Philippians 3, he talks about it a little bit. (laughs) And I'm going to paraphrase this. Apologies, but... He said, basically, I was circumcised when I was eight. I was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel. I was a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, big Hebrew, not little one. I was a member of Pharisees who demanded strict obedience. I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So if anyone had confidence in their efforts, I have even more. Right? But then he says, right after that, he once thought these things were valuable, but now he considered them worthless because of what Christ has done. For his sake, he has discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so he could gain Christ. Garbage. Everything is garbage compared to Jesus. Amen. Pride was an issue in his life. It was like it was fundamentally built in him, but he had a repentant heart. Did that make him void with dealing with pride? No. In 2 Corinthians 12, he said he was given a thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming proud. Yeah. Right there to keep him from becoming proud, to keep him from becoming prideful. And the Lord wouldn't move it, even though Paul begged him three times. The Lord said all Paul needed was his grace. This is how serious managing pride was to God. This is how pride harms us, harms our loved ones and harms our church. But how does pride affect outside the church? If I'm honest, it's a whole nother monster. But this alludes to the name of this episode. Don't let pride drive your righteousness. Don't let hate drive your righteousness. I want to ask you, are you really working for the kingdom of God? Or are you working for the perceived holiness of yourself? 
Do your stances flow from humility and authority given to you by Christ Jesus? Or does it flow from a sense of pride and arrogance of your own self-righteousness? This is a stance on pride, the month, and the heart. The foundational scripture of this episode is, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Proverbs 22.4 Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you. That in Luke, God, you say that you exalt the humble and you humble the exalted. Father God, I thank you that when we walk into your ways, that we learn what it means to be humble, Father. That we don't have to strive any longer, but you see us fully as we are, God. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone, Lord. But you see us and you say that we are worthy to be loved, that we are worthy to be saved, God. We don't have to stick our necks out and look better than anybody else, Father, for we are already chosen. Hallelujah. Lord God, I thank you right now, Father, that in humility is riches and honor in life, God. Show us, Lord, how to live like this. Show us how to be humble, Father. And so for the rest of this message, God, for everyone who can hear the sound of my voice, including me, Father, we ask, Lord, that you let our hearts be softened, let our minds open so we can hear you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I ask that you convict us so that we can run to repentance and we can bow down and worship you, God. Holy Spirit, teach us right now what you want lord how can we be a better minister a better steward to you father hallelujah let this word minister to our hearts god in jesus name and really quickly god i ask that you equip me as a your your weakened earth vessel lord holy spirit let it be in your will that you equip me with the words of truth and the words of life, God. Hallelujah. Help me spread your message of goodness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, it's the end of Pride Month. And I have a lot of opinions about the things I saw from this month. (laughs) There was a lot of things that happened this month, guys. Like, y'all know. Um, so, despite that, the first question is, are you being a witness? Matthew 5, verse 13 through 16 reads, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So are you bringing light to the darkness? Or is your arrogance blinding the unbelief's eyes more? 
Are you a light to everyone in the house? Allowing people to see their mess, but aiding in assistance in their lives because now they can see. Is the light that you're shining glorifying Yahweh? Or is it glorifying you in Jesus' name? Hmm. Are you being salt and preserving the earth? Or are you an unpleasant taste in someone's mouth? Yeah. The scripture has so much in it. It's our kingdom identity. I don't have time to fully unpack here, but I can leave a great sermon by Pastor Philip Michael that breaks it all the way down. If you're in the Atlanta area, I definitely recommend going to 2018 church. But for time's sake, in short, the scripture basically says as salt, we are called to preserve the moral culture that God gave us. And as light, we are called to push back darkness. It's hard to know what it practically looks like sometimes, especially in our individualistic ways. So a lot of times we end up thinking that we are being effective when in reality, our actions can fall within two categories. One extreme of these categories is compromise. Never speaking up against the culture or never speaking up against worldly things, very passive and not representing Christ much at all. Sometimes telling people you're a Christian and then going out and doing similar things or the same things because, you know, YOLO, right? Because God forgives, right? Mm. The other extreme is to rebuke and call out everyone and everything. You spend more time telling people about themselves and about sin rather than telling people who God is or who he can be to them. And you know, there's everything that falls in between. Salt and light is a big calling for us because it's building God's kingdom. And in our imperfect ways, sometimes we fail and fall. But my question is, are we learning in our failures or are we just going to keep falling? It's that confusion on how are we supposed to be light and salt without pride puffing up our chests? How do we let our light shine so that it glorifies our father in heaven? You know, I think about the time in the 70s, around the 70s, I'm sure, when HIV and AIDS first hit. It was mostly prone within the gay community, particularly, I I think, within men. And nobody knew what it was. It was new to the medical world. And the symptoms were mostly discreet until they weren't, you know. So no one knew they were sick. And with hookup culture, people didn't know they were spreading something deadly. Therefore, a huge outbreak happened in the United States. And many people began to die. There was articles and radio hosts talking about it. There was ads on TV and it was a mixture of media. Some people were giving awareness to the community to, you know, be safe and practice safe sex. Um, And other people were being homophobic and shameful. It was horrific. Left and right, people were dropping off the earth, not knowing that their life would end so unexpectedly. So. As people were getting thrown into eternity, you know, 
We don't know if they were saved or not. They were getting thrown, just just thrown into eternity. What was the church's response? Was it to provide comfort in the midst of great loss, providing scriptures which could lead people to Jesus? Mm-mm. Was it to get evangelism teams stirred up to minister and spread the gospel to the LGBT community? No. Was it to supply a fund to hospitals to further scientific research? Was it to do what Jesus said and go and minister to the poor in spirit? No and no. Instead, during this time of pain and mourning, the church decided to say, this is your judgment from God for your sin i.e. this is what you deserve on the platter. I have no words for that. And for a disclaimer, I'm speaking of the overall message or messages the church gave during this time. Majority of churches were saying things like this and actually this. So it cultivated this message as church culture and it hurt many people. I'm sure there was some diamond in the rough churches scattered along America who helped many unsaved people dealing with this epidemic back then. You know, God, God moves. But I told this story because what I'm trying to say is we have influence by us, you know, given to us by the father. So what we do with that influence matters. What caused what caused churches to speak down on an entire community? Pride, the feeling of I'm better than you, the holier than thou aspect that overpowered their sense of compassion. Compassion, the feeling to empathize and have concern for someone who is suffering and feel compelled to reduce it. Was this epidemic God judging sin? I have no idea. You know, we see in the Old Testament with Egypt, like God uses plagues. God uses things to to judge. You know, we know that God will allow us the consequences of our sin, you know. So I'm not saying that this epidemic wasn't judgment, but I'm also not saying that it was. Why? Because I'm not God. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But what I am saying is. In order to be salt and light, we as people need to use our God-given compassion to aid and assistance after we speak truth. There is so much more to preserving culture than to speak down on those who sin. There is so much more to being the light of the world than to make your heavenly opinions known. Now, there's nothing wrong with openly stating your opinions. It's a free country, and there's absolutely nothing wrong when you spread light into darkness. But when it's fueled by hate, when it's fueled by pride and the I'm better than you mentality is when it's not okay. You're causing more chaos. You're being loud and open, not knowing you're is just as much sinful as the people you're opposing against shaming the sons and daughters that the lord loves since when was shame the fruit of the holy spirit before you open your mouth real wide and proclaim stuff think about if you got some cavities in the back of your mouth yeah like did you brush your teeth today did you floss did you scrub your tongue because it's looking real white newsflash we are not better than anyone We are all sinners. Newsflash, we are immoral. 
we are all just alike. We have to stop with that better than stuff. The holier than thou, I'm better than, I feel is one of the things God hates the most. If I'm honest, like he spoke so much against it all throughout the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And Jesus didn't only speak against it, but he showed it in his actions. He was a Jewish man you know, rebuking Pharisees. (laughs) He was a Jewish man who was doing things, performing miracles and serving Gentiles. Gentiles back then are these people groups who serve false gods and more horrendously in their religious and cultural practices were doing many immoral things. It was, it was, it was very grave from polygamy all the way to well from orgies and polygamy from all the way to child sacrifices like it was it was it was a lot he didn't shame them he didn't condemn them or smite them down in holy fire though he could have now I'm talking about Jesus you know there's old testament's another thing but what did Jesus do he served them he changed their life The only thing they can remember was a good memory. He still spoke truth. He was still Jesus, but his grace and love and compassion for them sustained. Why is that? Unlike all the other Jews of that time who had the mindset that the Messiah only loved and came to save them. Jesus had the mindset to save everyone because Jews were just as sinful and just as lost, even though they were the covenant people. Jesus ministered to Samaritans. And if you don't know the history, it's easy to just read or hear that and be like, oh, okay, you know, he talked to Samaritans. But the thing is, is that Samaritans and Jews hated each other, like hated deep, deep racism. The brief history is that Samaritans were a people group that lived north of Jerusalem. When Assyria captured the northern kingdom of Israel, some were taken into captivity and others were left behind. The ones left behind intermarried with the Assyrians, having babies. So they were neither fully Hebrew or fully Gentile. These were the Samaritans. They were from the tribes of Joseph, Menashe, and Levi, and they considered themselves Jews. But the Jews in Judea did not agree. Because of this cultural dissonance and the Jews denying them over and over, it started a long history of chaos and hate. Both communities acted out on each other in hate crimes. Both communities had slurs for one another. One community will build a temple, the other community will tear it down, and vice versa. Some years after that, they both denounced and denied each other, and it was disgusting but both groups were waiting and praying for the Messiah. Sound familiar? But Jesus ministered to Samaritans. The woman at the well was a Samaritan. That's why when you read John 4, she's a little hostile and agitated because she thinks that Jesus was there to shame her. <laughs> what Jesus did was so countercultural that in John four twenty seven, it says that when the disciples saw Jesus talking to her, they were surprised shocked if you will the disciples were surprised that Jesus would even speak to a Samaritan woman because not only was Jesus Jewish but he was Lord so if this 
so if the disciples were too holy then to mess with the Samaritans then Jesus was like too too holy you know like who can be more Jewish than Jesus so (laughs) they thought Jesus had that better than mentality that they had they were surprised because they thought Jesus surely hated Samaritans too because you know the ancient history and the sin but Jesus doesn't look at a person and only see their history and sin we shouldn't look at someone and see only their history and their sin that's a human characteristic that's why Jesus doesn't do it because Jesus was God Jesus is God the disciples along with all the other Jews back then and along with many of us right now have a mindset that we are better than others who are unsaved and For some of our brothers and sisters, saved sometimes, you know, look at how Jesus ministered to those that didn't know who he was. He did it with love. He did it with authority and compassion of all else. He still spoke truth. He was still against sin. He even told the Samaritan woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Two sentences right there, boom, boom, that's truth and that's comfort. No judgment, no shame, no large sign protesting saying that everyone's going to hell. He was compassionate. Oh man, I saw this video um of some high schoolers booing a pride month video in class many christians were praising it like in the comments and i saw it reposted a couple times and they were like period satan don't got him like we laughing at the enemy all types of stuff but y'all let's use our heavenly minds you know let's not be deceived we can't just assume that that's a good video Like, how do we know that all those kids were mature Christians in the faith with large convictions and a mindset focused on Jesus and practicing sexual purity? Hmm? I can't say the exact reason why they were booing. I don't know if they just didn't want to watch or if it was something more. But what if it was hate? As we know, the LGBT community suffers from all forms of oppression, bullying, hate crime, stalking, etc., And I don't want to label sin on people, so I'm not going to say that this is definite, but what if they were booing out of hateful hearts, hating an entire people group? That is no better. The Bible says in 1 John that whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It also says later on, but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Y'all, I don't think that video is good. With holy and loving eyes, this video can easily depict the hateful and hard contrite hearts of this world. Granted, I'm not saying they should be praising the video because that would be uplifting or encouraging sin. But as holy sons and daughters of God, we can't partner with hatred just because it aligns with our opinions. Hatred is still sin and God does not honor that.
on the Mount of Olives when they found an adulterer and everyone was ready to stone her. Jesus said, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, straight rebuke to all people who had stones. Then after all of them left, he looked at the adulterer and told her to leave her life of sin. Rebuke number two. Jesus told truth to everyone. God cannot love sin even if it is favoring something that he finds immoral. Man. Another thing I remember from this past month is like the pride flag scenario on the chosen set. Um, And if you didn't know about it, there was a behind the scenes video where a pride flag was shown on someone's um, personal camera, personal camera. And it was like three inches big. It was very small. But when everyone found out about it, we have these quote unquote Christians this huge uproar, you know, all on social media. It was it was huge. People saying he should be fired, that he's trying to infiltrate the show and spread darkness, that he's a pedophile. It was a lot, and it was horrible. People were finding his Instagram and leaking it with his full name and stuff. Like, y'all, this is hateful. This is darkness. Would you not want an unsafe person to be on the set of a Christ-centered TV show to where his job would to be literally all day long to hear about Jesus? Like, this is where we, we want people to know and love Jesus, you know? But doing all that, saying he should be fired, do y'all not see how that pushes people away from the faith? All I'm saying is, don't let your hate drive your righteousness. Let compassion drive it. Let the sympathy that you have for lost souls to drive it. Let the sympathy that you have for people bound by sin to drive your righteousness. Don't let a holier-than-thou mentality, which is pride, to drive your righteousness. Let Christ drive your righteousness. Let the thought of them walking into glory and meeting the king of the world on the narrow path instead of the wide path to damnation drive your righteousness. Pride is ugly, and it's sick, and it's Pharisee-like. Like, think about it, y'all. The Pharisees was so caught up in their prideful ways rebuking Jesus that they couldn't even see that he was God. Because we are so caught up in shaming and hating people instead of ministering and discussing with them like Jesus did, we start to push away future anointed sons and daughters. We push away future prophets, future missionaries, future evangelists, future ministers, worship leaders, you name it. If we say that we're on a mission to reflect the goodness of God to all the earth, to all who will see and hear, we need to get rid of the hate and the pride in our hearts. Because for some people in our lives, how we live is the only Bible they will ever read. I know this episode wasn't that light. And if I'm honest, some of these things I still need to work on. So I'm right there with you. I remind myself of James 1.27, which says, The religion that God our Father accepts as pure and as faultless as this, 
to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To paraphrase that, to be gentle and kind and don't become like the world. It's hard trying to become like Jesus. It's hard hating the sin and loving the sinner without compromise or without prideful ways it's hard not knowing how to be sought in light effectively because it's not our human nature our nature is sin but that is the beauty of God that is where his grace is sufficient his grace and his mercy we don't have to figure all of this out in one day he is patient and willing to teach us if we humble ourselves if we ask for help We can continue to seek first the kingdom of God and let the sanctification process do its thing. So because this was a large word and, oh man, it was a lot. And and I thank the Holy Spirit. I feel the need to pray for all of us concerning this. So, Dear eternal, ever-loving, and ever-present God, I thank you, Lord, that sanctification is a process. Hallelujah. Father God, we look up to the hills in which our help comes from, Father. And we say, Lord God, show us our prideful ways, Lord, that we might turn from them, God. Show us how we can humble ourselves before your throne, Lord. Show us how we can be a steward of your word, Lord, in a humble manner, God. Show us, God. Teach us, O Lord. Holy Spirit, equip us, God. Father, Lord, the only thing that we want is to make you proud, Father, and to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone who's willing to hear. So, God, prune us of our faulty ways, God prune us of the ways that gets in the way lord take away the parts of ourselves that makes a barrier between the person we're speaking to and you lord god strengthen our earthly vessels that we may be effective in the kingdom in jesus name i pray amen Thank you guys for joining the second episode of this podcast. I hope this word blesses you and I hope that it it puts you into a mindset of further advancing into the kingdom. And I hope you thought it was good. The And It Was Good podcast is sponsored by the Holy Spirit. I don't get nothing from this, but I hope you got this word. I love you. God bless you guys. And I'll see you next time.